Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And it's a beautiful day outside today, at least when I'm recording this, as you listen to it, maybe storming outside and tornadoes and hail and the uh, and Armageddon dawning. But hey, you're listening to the For the Church podcast, so that'd be a, a great encouragement for you uh, if that were to be the case. Hey, when we mistake spiritual disciplines for to-dos, time slots on our schedule, or Instagrammable moments, you know we miss the benefits of Christ's continual and constant work for us. Well, in her new book, Ragged, Gretchen Ronovic aims to reclaim spiritual disciplines as good gifts given by our good Father instead of heavy burdens of performance carried by the Christian. Only when we recognize our failures to maintain God's commands do we also realize the benefit of our dependence on his promises. Gretchen uses this distinction of law and gospel presented throughout Scripture to guide readers through spiritual disciplines, including prayer, meditation, scripture reading, and discipleship, among others. The good news is that spiritual disciplines have less to do with what we bring before God and more about who Christ is for us, not only as the author but also as the perfecter of our faith. Gretchen Ronovic created Gospel Mentoring, a training program for intergenerational discipleship, and she's the co-host of Freely Given, a podcast on living free in Christ. She has published articles at 1517, the Gospel Coalition, and Women's Ministry Toolbox, and regularly speaks at conferences and other events. She's here today to talk about ragged spiritual disciplines for the spiritually exhausted. Gretchen, welcome to the For the Church podcast. Thank you, Jared, for having me. Yeah, so um, one thing I didn't include in your bio here is uh, yeah, you and your husband, you're like legit farmers, like not fake farmers, but like real farmers. Like real farmers, yeah. My <laughs> my husband's fourth generation. He's actually planting on the tractor as we speak. So I've he'll been... probably be going until about <laughs> one in the morning this morning. So Yeah, I follow you on Twitter. So it's, 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 it's fun every day to see sort of like what he's been working on and then what you're, <laughs> <laughs> how you're managing or what you're taking out for him, you know, lunch out in the field. And I bring this up just, you know, it's, it's, it's of course, cool and interesting and, and, uh, uh, and great. But also, um, I distinguish between the fake farmers because one thing you don't have is like the perfectly filtered and curated Instagram or blog photos, right? Of like you and your yeah. kids around the recently harvested peaches or, or whatever it is, <laughs> <laughs> the little wooden bowl next to the craftsman table and. So why don't you do that? Well, you know, you like you're it's, legit. It's it's a lot dirtier than those things. <laughs> it's a lot more dirt. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we have our 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 moments of beauty for sure, but it's it's a lot it's a lot dirtier than Instagram. Yeah. Time. I mean, you know, I've I've never been a farmer. I never came. Uh, well, I may have some farmers in my in, in my family background, but um, but when I lived in Vermont. And I had a lot of farmers in in my congregation and and lived nearby. You know, there was a cow pasture right across from us, and and, and our house, uh, we had a barn on our property that others came and used and everything. So I I was in proximity to it, and I just remember thinking like every time I see one of these carefully, you know, the kids with the straw hats by the you know picket fence, and you know, on these uh, on these certain blogs, and I won't name any names, but blogs <laughs> or Instagram, I think. It don't look anything like that. <laughs> You're right. It's a lot more dirty. Um, people aren't dressed as careful. They don't look like they walked out of a catalog, you know, when 
um, on the real farm. So, uh, so kudos to you for for actually being you know legitimate and not Instagrammable. I suppose <laughs> <laughs> in that regard, I guess I should say. Yeah. Well, oh, thank you. It's fun. Yeah. So let's talk about ragged spiritual disciplines for the spiritually exhausted. The subtitle kind of gives us some indication, but who did you have in mind? Uh, when you wrote the book, what was sort of your your core audience, or who were you, you know, trying to uh, keep in your mind as you as you wrote this thing? Well, uh, actually, the the dedication to the book is for my friend Sonia. She is a missionary wife out in Africa, and I think a lot of times um, when I was studying the spiritual disciplines and, and looking at them from whether it's church history or, or what, what the Bible has to say about them. Um, we tend to have these ideas of what they should be. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, how would this work for a Christian in Africa or a missionary who de- maybe doesn't have the same support or um, just trying to take our, our cultural filters off of what we think uh, we should be like uh, as far as spiritual disciplines or, or daily devotional life and and look to see how uh, that the freedom and, and flexibility that the, the scriptures actually give us. Yeah. So, I mean, you're picturing, I don't know, the the, you know, man or woman or young, you know, kid, maybe even a teenager who goes to Sunday school each week and feels like, gosh, I'm. I must be a really lousy Christian because I'm not able to, you know, get the gold star on this checklist, or I'm not able to answer these questions, um, in, you know, in, in a way that's satisfactory or a way that seems impressive. Maybe, um, when, when you, you know, refer to the spiritually exhausted, you know, what's the sort of environment that you're speaking into? What's the sort of, uh, track record or, um, yeah, history of of the Christian reader that you're writing for in the book. Well, um, I write some out of my own experience as a uh, homeschooling mom. You know, I have six kids at home. I am a stay at home mom. I help support my husband on the farm, and um. Nothing in my life is really um, as structured as I would like it to be. It changes by the seasons. (laughs) And my kids are interrupting me all the time. One of them has some more, um, some health issues. And so there's just, there's, there's things that I have to take care of. And on one hand, um, as I really get hungry for, um, for time in the word and time in prayer, there's a lot of people who will just say, you know, this just isn't your season. And when your kids are grown up, you can do all these things. But, but for now that, that doesn't really matter. And that's really hard to tell someone when they're really um, starving to be fed. Um, On the other hand, there's a lot of people who will guilt you or, and they're teaching like, well, you must not want it bad enough or, or you must not be a good enough Christian or, it's almost like we're leaving our theology behind of um, of how uh, the gospel affects us and changes our life. And then we we put it aside and say, okay, now let's get practical about how we're going to do this. And so I, I really wanted to write um, a book that showed how, how the gospel affects even our spiritual disciplines and how we approach them. 
Yeah, talk about that for a moment. So uh, I, I think this is a really important um, dynamic because it's a biblical dynamic. The, the relationship between law and gospel, which uh, I don't want to assume you are. Are you Lutheran? I am. Yeah. So the Lutherans right, which, tend which, to I mean, get this really well. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is, right. Uh, the Lutherans I know, I guess I should say, the Lutherans <laughs> that I'll hang out with uh, really have a have a good um, history and tradition of this, naturally, because it's, Luther, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, true Lutheran theology. But it's so important to, to any Christian, you know, any um, evangelicals understanding of um how the indicative you know relates with the imperative in scripture how our obedience relates to christ's uh you know substitution on our behalf all those sorts of things why is that um so important for our understanding of spiritual disciplines can you kind of help you know help us situate the right understanding of spiritual disciplines as it relates to this law gospel thing yeah, I think a lot of times we um, we look at what the law does for us and all of the uses of the law, um, all of these imperatives in, in the Bible, and um, those are good and wonderful. I don't want to discount them, but the, the glorious truth of the gospel is that Jesus completed the law on our behalf. It is, he said, it is finished and, and he is at work in us. And I think a lot of times um, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, we see the law as uh, more effective to motivate us. And one of the things I really wanted to show is um, in in the end of Titus 2, there's this phrase that it, it is his grace that trains us. And um, what does that actually mean? And, and, and kind of um, looking at how um how god's grace is dependable and how it is motivational but i think a lot of times we we like to favor the law because it's easier to um to manipulate or to to get people to do things we we think it's you know as long as we're using scripture it doesn't matter if we're taking it out of context or using it for the wrong purpose you know as long as we're getting people to do good things that's fine but to really understand um, the law has its pur- purpose, but the gospel is really what is going to affect change in our hearts. Um, it's that heart level that um, where it really matters and, and things actually start to change. What is, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, guilt and kind of the impact of of guilt on um, spiritual disciplines or on just our, our sense of spiritual health or maybe even our assurance, but what does guilt do to us? How does it affect our understanding of, uh, of obedience, of even our um, sense of uh, communion with, 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 with Jesus? I, because, well, let me set the question up this way. Um, well, you and I are probably both familiar with, and, and, and a lot of our listeners would be as well, the kind of motivation towards obedience that comes from some sort of leveraging of guilt, right? Do this or Jesus is going to be mad at you or, or something like that, uh, or some variation of that. What is the long-term impact of that? Or maybe even short-term, but what's the impact of, of guilt on the Christian's attempt to living out the Christian life? Well, I think, um, 
I think there's two different ways that that, that, that can go. And, and they're equally as harmful, I think. Um, one of them can be, we question our very assurance. Like I, I must not be that great of a Christian or I, um, some, something along the message of the death of Jesus wasn't quite enough. And, and I, I haven't been able to do it. It's, it's really attacking, um, the work of the work of Christ. Um, the other impact that it could have is it could motivate us to get our lives really together and to really, um, discipline us to a point, a place of self-righteousness instead of, um, a place of dependence on Christ. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is the goal is dependence on Christ. The goal isn't self-righteousness or, um, personal achievements. It's, it's something, um, much bigger and deeper than that. Why don't people get this? Do you think? <laughs> well, why is it? Why are we um, so reluctant, maybe, or sluggish to to come around to this, you know, gospel, uh, you know, centered viewpoint, or you know, grace driven viewpoint? Why? Because any of us, if pressed, would prefer grace to <laughs> to law, you know, yeah. um, Sorry, for ourselves. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Any of us would prefer grace to law, and yet we feel drawn to this. What is it, you know, what's happening spiritually that makes us so spiritually, I guess, you know, reluctant to see things this way? Well, I think um, some some of it might be fear and our our idea that if we manage it or if we control it, um, that feels safer to us than letting God be the one to discipline us. And, and I've heard a lot of people, um, in, in mentoring and whatnot, uh, worry that, um, that God is going to discipline them in a way that, you know, catastrophe will hit their family or someone will be diagnosed with cancer or, or something, um, that God is going to teach them something through bad circumstances. And they're almost warding off bad circumstances by saying, okay, if I, if I get my life together enough, then God's not going to have to teach me something. And, and they get, it's very fear driven of, of if, if I can just hold it together enough where God doesn't have to intervene too harshly with me. And, um, yeah, there's just, there's circum, there's conversations that I've had with people where even if they do have a very structured spiritual life, um, they are more um, oppressed by fear than understanding the love of God. And so I think it's not so much that the goal is to get our lives um, as structured as we want it to be. The goal is how do we depend on on God and and how does He want this to happen and unfold you, you have a entire chapter on fasting which is is not a very uh, i guess fashionable subject today i don't know that people are opposed to it so much you just don't hear about it very much i've often yeah. wondered if somebody wrote like today if somebody wrote a book that was just on fasting and i'm sure some people have but um you know, if 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 one of us wrote a book on fasting, I wonder if it would even come close to being, uh, you know, uh, I guess gathering the same kind of interest as 
you know, some, uh, you know, some other topics would, um, how, how do you approach fasting in, in that chapter? What do you tell us about, about fasting? Um, well, I, I learned a lot about it just through curiosity. Um, and maybe a little bit of suspicion, to be honest, I, I was wondering <laughs> a lot of, a lot of what people would say about fasting made it sound like, um, our prayers were being supercharged, like they were going to be okay. extra special prayers or extra powerful prayers. And, and I was just trying to wrap my head around what, like the spiritual logistics of that, like, how could there be, you know, and so, um, how does that, I didn't want to get super mystical about it and, and, um, try, try to root myself in what God is doing in this instead of the logistics of, okay, technically, how do you fast and what does it have to look like? And can it be, you know, for, does it have to be food? Is it for one meal? Is it for all day? And, and I think a lot of times we get caught up in logistics, like we're pushing buttons to see which one is going to make God work. Right. And and so I, I kind of approached it with a little bit of suspicion, but also a little bit of curiosity. Um, one of the women who mentors me um, encouraged me to just think about it and like, all right, well, I'm just going to approach this from a curiosity standpoint of what does it mean to fast and what does God teach us through it? Um, I, I've learned that fasting is really tied to lament it's the purpose of it is really tied with um when we're grieving or at the end of our rope or or feeling like we're out of options and um the busyness or the clutter of our days um makes everything really hard to understand and so it's been very clarifying um it's also been tied a little bit to rest of um, when I fast, it's, it's a time of rest where I'm looking to see God at work instead of trying to, um, figure out the situation all on my own, because I've, I'm literally out of options. <laughs> and, right. um, so saying, okay, God, what are you going to do? And I'm, I'm just going to, um, sit here until, until you show me what needs to happen because I, I really don't know. So it, it's a, it's a discipline and humility in that extent as well, where you're realizing you aren't actually running the show and you, you actually aren't controlling the world. And you're asking God, what, what are you doing here? And um, so it's brought a lot of clarity. Um, and I, I like that better as far as, as opposed to manipulation and or manipulating God in different ways. It's, it's something that God has done for me to, um, to help me understand where I am in relationship to him. So. Yeah, it's it's so countercultural. Just the idea of, of even just going without, because we we sense any kind of going without, especially if it's not by choice, mm -hmm. as you know, some sort of hindrance to our, you know, self actualization or or something, our success or our happiness or comfort or whatever it is. And so the idea that we would intentionally go without. That we would cease from something, or 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 you know deny ourselves something, um, just seems I think not just counterintuitive, but countercultural, and yet maybe the way, um, maybe maybe even a primary way, especially in the West, um, for us to kind of reengage with our um, 
yeah, our place before God, <laughs> you know, our place of dependence, which is so important in, in your book as well. This, this concept of, you know, we're not trying to achieve spiritual independence where we are pursuing or, or relying on our, you know, our dependence. So you have a chapter then also on, um, I think even the title is authority, privilege, submission, <laughs> um, each of which is a really loaded concept <laughs> to take. So I Just wonder if you could that. pick it up, <laughs> if you could pick it apart for us a little bit, what, uh, because these are loaded concepts, authority, privilege, and submission. What are you talking about in that chapter? What's the, the aim there? Well, um, I suppose that chapter dis- discuss what what is our right as children of God? Because I, I think as a mom with little kids, that's a question I ask myself too of um like if we ask the if we ask if someone spends three hours in Bible reading a day, are they more spiritual than someone that spends five minutes in the Bible a day? Um, we might say yes, but then when we say, okay, but what if they neglected their kids and put them in front of the TV for the three hours so they could do that? And, and you know, <laughs> yeah. is that like the most godly thing to do then? And then people are like, oh, well, no, I mean, you still have to do the works that God has put in front of you to do. And so it becomes this balancing act of um, what am I entitled to as a Christian, as a believer? And, um, and at what point am, is my spiritual pursuits um, impeding maybe the spiritual life of someone else where, um, where someone else is getting neglected for my own, um, I don't know, at some point, maybe it could even be called entertainment. But um, so just kind of diving into that a little bit, because I think it's hard to know when to ask for help and when to say, okay, I'm like, if I've stayed home for weeks with various six sick kids, or if I miss sermon because, you know, there's screaming babies and they don't want to go in the nursery and and things are really complicated. And I, I'm just not, as a young mom, not hearing the word and I'm not getting fed. Um, at what point do you ask for help and say, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm just spiritually starving for the word. Um, this question of what am I entitled to as, as a daughter of God um, was one that I really wanted to go through. Um, the story of Mary and Martha was very comforting to me. Um, just that, um, I have access to him and, um, no one's allowed to take that from me. Mm. Um, and that has been important because I think a lot of times, um, as, as I work in, in women's ministry, a lot of women are very committed to, um, submitting to their husbands or to caring for their children that they become a martyr at some respect and and they say well i don't need any of the spiritual disciplines i will just enable other people to but this isn't for me and so yeah that that's kind of the the discussion within within that chapter gotcha um what about you know the submission part you kind of touched on the i guess sense of entitlement or the privilege part what why should we even be thinking about submission um when everything in us is is 
uh, calling us to exert or assert ourselves, what's the benefit to um, yeah to the kind of submission you're talking about in in that chapter? Well, I think um, I think it's setting up a broader discussion in the book that the spiritual disciplines are not for our own personal edification only, but they're for okay. the edification of the whole church. And so, and we are a part of that church. And so um, we can ask for help and we should ask for help. But in the same sense, um, I think so, so many times we get laser focused that my, um, my time in the word is just for me. It's, it's just me and God, and that's all it's about. But we are here to, to serve others as well and um, submit ourselves to others. And I, I think, yeah, that was, that was kind of the broader concept that it's setting up. But it is difficult. Um, I know in my own life, there was a, th- there's a story I tell in the book, um, which just kind of shows my own snark in my household. But <laughs> I, um, I had had a day where I, it was difficult with the children. Uh, everyone was acting up and I was at the end of my rope and it, I got supper in the oven and I went up to my room to spend some time in prayer because I did not want to hurt anybody. Like it was just one of those days. And um, my husband comes in from work and he comes upstairs to change out of his farm clothes. And he's like, you know, is this really the best time? for you to be having time in prayer. Like the kids are just downstairs running around and doing who knows what. And, um, and I just kind of looked at, it was, it was this moment when I, I realized that I had confused submission with people pleasing. And I just wanted everyone in my family to, um, to be happy with me all the time. And to say, no, that this is exactly what I need to be doing right now. <laughs> you don't understand that this is this is exactly what needs to happen. And no one is going to take this time with the Lord away from me because this is my right. And um, that was, I think it's really easy to confuse submission and people pleasing. And one of them turns you into a martyr. And the other one is understanding that, that we're part of a body and we're there to serve one another. And so... Um, that distinguish, distinguishing uh, discussion is is important, especially as um, as a, a woman who talks about submission a lot. <laughs> well, good. So yeah, well, and I I think you know your focus on yeah the the spiritual disciplines as a means of participating in and edifying the church is a is a great emphasis, particularly for this podcast, which is for the church. We've been talking about Ragged with Gretchen Ronovic, uh, subtitle Spiritual Disciplines for the Spiritually Exhausted. It's out from 1517 Publishing. You can pick it up wherever you buy your great Christian books. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, sister. Thank you for having me. Listener, if you enjoy the podcast, as always, please give us a good review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.